0: What is the future of privileged access management? Hi, this is Tom Field, Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking about privileged access management today with Adan Shoham. He's the Chief Technology Officer and Founder with Hitachi ID Systems. Edan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. To start out with, talk to me a little bit about what you see as the business drivers for organizations today to deploy a privileged access management system.
1: The, the main driver really is security. Uh, organizations are concerned about unauthorized access or data disclosure, uh, exfiltration of data, sensitive data out of their organization. They're concerned about people hacking in and causing damage to their IT systems or causing service outages, in a financial sense, people are concerned about misdated financial statements because of compromise. In a privacy sense, people are worried about compromise of uh, the privacy of data about employees or partners or customers. So these are all basically security concerns. More tactically, people are worried about audit failures, meaning audit figures out that there's a, a security vulnerability, and that may refer to internal auditors or external auditors. And quite often, there is an audit finding, and that creates pressure from the board of directors to resolve these problems. In a few cases, we've talked to organizations that have actually experienced a break-in, so they're, they're actually trying to you know, close the, the gate through which people already broke in. And in some cases, we talk to organizations where there hasn't been a break-in locally, but they've heard about break-ins at similar organizations or in the media, and that they just don't want to be the next victim that uh, shows up in the news. And overriding all this is some desire for avoiding regulatory compliance problems. Right? So if audit finds a problem, then pretty soon the regulator may find a problem too. So you, you just you don't want things to get that far because uh, as soon as regulators catch wind of problems, and you know, there, there could be uh, more serious consequences, penalties, and so forth. So really, at, at the end of the day, these are all different uh, dimensions of security, but people are basically worried about securing their infrastructure and their data.
0: So in what ways do you see the current threat environment impacting what organizations want or how they deploy a PAM system?
1: Well, what's funny is uh, nobody ever thinks of something as a problem until they can conceptualize the solution. And I'd say something like 10 years ago, uh, with privileged access management systems starting to appear in the markets, people t- started to understand that static passwords and weak passwords and plain text passwords to administrative accounts and other accounts are a security problem. They've been a security problem all along, but until about 10 years ago, I'd say nobody really had solutions. So people took that to just mean business as usual and tolerated it. Today, there's robust solutions in the market, and that means it's just no no longer acceptable to leave these things alone. So so that's kind of the solution side of the equation. At the same time, cyber threats are kind of escalating every year before you we were worried about kind of kids hacking in for kicks and giggles. Now you're really worried about state level actors and organized criminal gangs and the malicious insiders. Really more professional attackers and that increases the, the threat profile. So you've got a convergence of, of on the one hand, the threat profile has increased. On the other hand, the awareness of the problem and the availability of solutions has, has uh, increased. And so, you know, there's a, an increased movement to close the the back door, as it were. I guess a third trend is organizations increasingly make strategic investments in IT. It doesn't matter if you're a retail organization, a healthcare organization, a financial organization. It it seems that information really is the lifeblood of every organization. And so the more IT you have, the more consequential uh, vulnerabilities and uh, security exploits could be. So... More serious attackers hitting more critical infrastructure, while at the same time there's more plausible and credible solutions to fix the problem.
0: Hey, Dan, given your experience with privileged access management, what do you see as some of the essential do's and don'ts of these systems, and where do you see organizations typically encounter challenges when deploying?
1: I want to start by saying that the technology is actually relatively simple, right? Uh, A privileged access management system has to do a few things, and it needs to do them well. It needs to discover privileged accounts. It needs to change their passwords to random values on some kind of regular schedule. It needs to store those randomized passwords in a secure, encrypted, access-controlled credential vault. And then it needs to control access to these privileged accounts by people and by software agents. Uh, we make software that does that, and, you know, frankly, so do other vendors. So technologically, the only real kind of gotcha the thing to worry about is reliability. Uh, you Basically, once you set all these passwords to random values, nobody knows what the passwords are, and you cannot afford to lose the vault. Uh, you can't afford to destroy the vault. You can't afford to lose access to the vault because uh, that would just be an IT disaster, right? It means that you're locked out of your own infrastructure. So that means you have to replicate the, those passwords across multiple servers and they should be in different locations and it should be in, in kind of an active-active replicated setup so that in the event that you lose one of these servers, it's a nuisance, it's not a disaster, right? So that, that's on the technological side of you really need, you know, active-active replicated infrastructure. But that's relatively straightforward. The, the real challenges I would say are not technological, they're organizational. Uh, so one challenge is, frankly, you'll be deploying this forever, right? I don't mean to be alarmist or anything or, or negative, but uh, in a typical organization, there are so many systems running on so many different platforms and so many privileged accounts that it, it just takes a long time to integrate all of those with a, a privileged access management system. There are also a lot of features that you may want to deploy over time. Uh, it's not just admin accounts that are used by people to configure or maintain their systems. There are service accounts. There is embedded accounts. There is a desire to record activity with these accounts and be able to search and play it back later. Uh, there's forensic audits. There's risk models. So if, if you think of this as a sort of a matrix where the systems that you want to secure are, are kind of one access and the things that you want to do to secure them randomizing passwords, recording sessions, uh, injecting new passwords into services or applications as, as the other access, it's a big space. And, you know, sometimes a vendor or a consultant might promise, uh, you know, uh, rainbows and unicorns, right? They'll say, oh, you know, we can deploy that thing in your environment and be done in a week. But that either means that they're dishonest or incompetent. So really, these deployments... Uh, don't really end. You deploy something and then it works great and the business comes back and they say, well, what about this other thing? And then you deploy that and it works great and the business comes back and, and says, well, here's a, you know, yet another thing that we'd like to automate and it kind of goes on and on like that. So that means from the business point of view, privileged access management should be thought of as a program. It's not a project. It's persistent. It should have a, a permanently assigned team. It should have permanent funding that rolls over from year to year. And the challenge is really just to convince the business to come up with that kind of uh, commitment and investment, right? Uh, Otherwise, you deploy a a simple system that has limited scope, it works, and it covers, you know, 5 or 10% of your problem, and, uh, you know, it leaves the other 95% of your problem uh, insecure. So it's a problem of permanent commitment and funding, I'd say.
0: Well, that's a great segue to my next question, because I wanted to ask you about the makeup of a privileged access management team. What are the essential skills that you need, and how should organizations be approaching the staff up for that?
1: Sure. Well, most organizations will start with external consultants, like integrators or vendors initially, and and they ought to transition more and more of the maintenance and expansion of the system to an in-house team over time. Frankly, it's more sustainable and less expensive. Typically, you have two skill sets, right? So you've got somebody that's a project manager or a program manager, and they help to organize the communication with the business and prioritize what to deliver next and and act sort of as the the front person, the the communication point for what's being deployed. And then the second person or, or team type of person, I suppose, is more the technologist. These are the people that are implementing the system and configuring integrations and diagnosing problems and so forth. Um, so on the PM side, the skill set is just a standard project or program manager. It's it's nothing exotic. On the technology side, again it's nothing too exotic, but uh, here's kind of a laundry list of things that you need. Uh, you need to understand web services, you need to understand networks, which includes uh, addresses and routing and name resolution, and firewalls, and you know, data flow across the infrastructure basically. Uh, you probably need some scripting capability uh, to deal with uh, unusual integrations or complex business rules. You need to understand directories, you know, LDAP, active directory, things like that. Uh, you should have really strong diagnostic skills. Um, think of it this way, if you're managing privileged access on 10,000 systems, uh, on any given day, a few of them will break, right? It's just the nature of the infrastructure and you need to have the skills to figure out why those things broke and and coordinate with the owners of each system and fix the problems. So strong diagnostic skills. So basically you you need to have kind of a a strong technologist and perhaps one or two such people to to support uh, an active and constantly growing PAM system. It's interesting that PAM, Privileged Access Management, or PAM for short, is – not really the same as identity and access management in the sense that a PAM system doesn't generally create or delete access. It, it only temporarily connects people to pre-existing uh, security rights. But the skill sets are very much the same, right? So you need a, a permanent program, you need a, a PM kind of individual, and you need a technologist kind of individual. So in terms of the team, it's very similar to
0: IAM. So, Dan, I can hear some of our audience members from the larger enterprises saying, what about me? So, how does a privilege access management system really scale up to be able to serve a large enterprise as well as it does a smaller organization?
1: Sure, and, and we're certainly very interested in, in scaling Pam systems up uh, to the enterprise and actually even larger to the cloud. Um, so, in some sense, that this is one of the differences between Pam systems and uh, identity and access systems, or IAM. Uh, in the sense that the number of integrations is very much larger. So a, a PAM system could easily have north of of 100,000 integrated endpoints, right? Uh, servers, network devices, applications, databases, uh, clients like laptops. Um, so the number of integrations is very large, and the PAM system needs to be able to talk to pretty much every one of those systems at least every day. So how do you do that? I mean, how do you onboard 100,000 integrations. Well, clearly you need automation. You you can't realistically onboard or deactivate, you know, individual servers if you're going to do 100,000 of them. And certainly not if you're going to onboard or deactivate hundreds or thousands of servers every single day. So you need automation that can discover systems, which implies that you have a data source or perhaps multiple data sources. You need to integrate this with your CMDB or your directory to get a list of systems that exist in your environments. And knowing that a system exists is great, but it's not enough. You also need rules to figure out what credentials to use for the PAM system to connect to each of these systems, right, to talk to it. And then the PAM system needs to actually do that. It needs to connect to each of these systems, and uh, we call this probing, right? It has to probe them to see what services they have, what groups exist there, what accounts exist on each and every one of these integrated systems. And probing systems is not something that you, you can do once and forget about it you actually have to do it on a recurring basis to see what changed. And so after you collect all this data, right, system inventory, accounts, groups, and services from each system, then you need some kind of rules engine to apply rules to the data that you discovered and automatically figure out which of these systems to manage, which accounts to manage, what policies to attach them to, what access rules to attach them to, and so on. So you need discovery and you need rules in order to automatically manage the infrastructure. Really, nothing else is is plausible at large scale. And again, like I said before, you need a distributed architecture. It has to be active, active, and replicated so that in the event that something bad happens in one of your locations, let's say you have a flood in a data center. I mean, if this has happened to our customers, you can't have an outage, right? You can't lose access to all these privileged uh, accounts and passwords. So you need multiple PAM servers in multiple locations that are always available, so that if something bad happens, and somewhere in the world something bad happens every day, this, this doesn't cause an IT disaster. And I suppose the other thing that you need for scalability is a robust access control mechanism, right? So one kind of access control is, you know, these users can access these accounts on these systems whenever they need to, right? If, if you're a Windows admin and you want to sign into a Windows box to configure something, you shouldn't have to go asking for permission. You should just do your job, right? So that's persistent access rights. And separately from that, you need a one-off access mechanism. So you need a way, for example, for a developer to say, hey, Friday nights for four hours I need access to a prod server to do a production migration. Or somebody in the data center needs that access to diagnose an emergency problem in the middle of the night. Or a vendor needs access to come in and and help you fix something. So these are all one-off access scenarios the PAM system to, to really be useful at scale has to support both.
0: Given everything we've talked about here today, the question that comes to me is, where do you begin? So, in other words, how do organizations <laughs> prioritize their implementation and where do you see them sort of starting? Where do they go first?
1: You know, that's a great question because uh, we all know it's, it's like a truism in IT. Uh, don't boil the ocean, right? If you try to do everything at once, then you'll actually accomplish nothing. So you got lots of options, right? What, what to do first. Do you do you organize this by application, by platform, by business process, by location, by user community? Lots of options. Um, what we see most most of our customers do is they, they organize it by platform. So they might do um, their Windows plant first, and then they might do all their Linux servers next, and they might do, let's say, Oracle databases after that and so on. Now, that seems to be the common pattern is by platform. And generally, you layer on that by business process. So you might do basic discovery and password randomization and disclosure in the first go, and then you'll come back and do things like session monitoring and playback or uh, Windows service account password management as a a deployment phase, or you might stand up an infrastructure to replace uh, passwords embedded in scripts and applications So I'd say generally by platform and then by process is what we see. And what's important is to do the most important thing first. And at any given time, the next phase should be the most important thing that's left. And the priorities are not really static. I mean, uh, organizations are kind of evolving creatures. And so what we recommend and what's really a best practice is for organizations to reevaluate their priorities after each deliverable. So you you might, for example, start with uh, securing admin accounts on Windows servers as a phase. And when you finish doing that, and it shouldn't take that long, reevaluate your priorities and figure out what to do next. And maybe next you do, I don't know, Cisco devices, or maybe next you do Linux, or maybe next you do Windows service account passwords. So whatever it is, you do that, and then you come back and you re-evaluate priorities. So the, the, the business of constantly re-evaluating what next is just as important as phasing this.
0: So final question for you. If we look forward at some of the emerging technologies in the marketplace today, I'm thinking mobility, cloud, the Internet of Things, how do you see them impacting the future of privileged access management systems?
1: Uh, well, privileged access management is, is a part of the IT, IT ecosystem, so certainly every IT trend has an impact. Mobility has an impact in that people want to gain privileged access from their phone. And if you think about it, people's phones are outside the network, right? Even if I'm physically in the office, my phone's on a data plan. It's it's attached to the public Internet, not to the corporate network. So we have this sort of uh, dichotomy where, on the one hand, people do explicitly want to gain access to sensitive credentials on their BYOD. On the other hand, it's... that's dangerous, right? You're intentionally leaking credentials outside your corporate perimeter. And so there's, there's some kind of balance there between utility and, and security risk. Uh, and m- many organizations are actually starting to allow controlled leakage of credentials out of the perimeter because it's just useful. Clouds, well cloud means that somebody else operates something, either your infrastructure or, or uh, your application. So by that I mean that there's infrastructure as a service and there's software as a service. Software as a service really is not that big a deal. It's just, you know, for each SaaS application that you want to secure, it's one or two more credentials that your PAM system has to connect to. Just more connections, more integrations, nothing special. Uh, Infrastructure as a service is is more interesting, and and that's true for both public cloud but also private cloud or on-premise hypervisors. Because when you have large numbers of virtual machines, regardless of whether they're in-house or outside, you tend to run into um, situations where you're onboarding and deactivating VMs very, very quickly. So the pace of onboarding deactivating systems, not people, accelerates by orders of magnitude. And that has an impact on the PAM system because it needs to onboard and deactivate connections of these systems at the same pace. So infrastructure as a service has a very real impact on PAM in terms of how you automate integrations and how you accelerate integrations. So it's kind of an an interesting topic for me. Internet of Things is is a whole other topic, I guess. Um, I mean, people talk about Internet of Things in some sort of a generic sense, but if you think about it, we're talking about sensors and actuators, and they're small and inexpensive and cheap devices that exist by their millions, right? Uh, You you, you go order them from, you know, uh, Retailers operating out of Hong Kong and China for next to nothing, right? And cheap often means cheaply made, not terribly well designed. So all these distributed devices with uh, onboard IP addresses and onboard web servers, they may not be terribly secure, right? The profit margins are so thin that there's just no room for robust security architectures. So we're talking about poorly designed, poorly secured uh, devices that might be inside your corporate perimeter that uh, might exist in their thousands, might be quite diverse as many different types. And so they're they're just sort of inherently insecure, these things. And privileged access management is, is a reasonable strategy to help remediate that. So if all these little web cameras and all these little motors and actuators are deployed on your network, then the least you can do is discover them and change their passwords regularly. So... You know, they're not the same from one device to the next, and, and, you know, there's some audit trail of who accesses the device. It's by no means a comprehensive solution to securing, you know, large numbers of inexpensive devices, but it certainly is a step in the right direction.
0: Hey, Dan, that's been great insight. I appreciate your time and your thoughts today. Thank you very much. No, you're very welcome. Anytime. The topic has been Privileged Access Management. I've been speaking with a Dan Shohan, Chief Technology Officer and Founder with Attachi ID Systems. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.